Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is January 2nd, the day after New Year's. And I hope your rent's due or it's paid. If not, just tell them you don't got you don't got it and there's always next month. You familiar with rent? I have paid rent, yes, yes sir. Were you ever on time or late? Uh yes sir, I was late. Did you tell them you just didn't have it? I sure did. I let them know I didn't have it. That was very nice. Yeah, survived another day. Sometimes you just gotta be honest with these people. They might let you slide, but it's Thursday Eve, it's th Friday Eve, Thursday morning. It's podcast Thursday. Cup of Joe. I'm with a very special guest. She is from Gary, Indiana, by way of Tulsa. Jess moved back, kind of back home. It's full circle. You'll learn more about that in a minute. I'll let herself introduce herself. Who are you? I'm Teresa Reed. And I'm glad to be with you today, Joe. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for having me. Both. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, thanks for thanks for being on the show, taking time out of your day. I know work's kind of crazy for you, so for you to take time to talk with me, little old me, I appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. So, we are just going to dive into this. So, where are you from, Miss Reed? I'm, uh, as you said, I'm originally from Gary, uh -huh. Indiana. Um, was born and raised there, and... Uh, was in Indiana my entire life until I graduated from uh, undergrad and then went back to Indiana later to do more school, but I'm a Hoosier. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where'd you go to high school? High school, Gary Westside High School, um, class of 1983. Shout out to class of 1983. Anybody listening? I don't know, that's your, that's your class. So yes, my, cu my cousin went there. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Class of 2007. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. By that time, it was, I think, Westside Leadership Academy. Is same, it? Is same it? school. Okay. Yeah, same 9th and Jerry. Jerry and Ah, so what, what's the difference? Like, Westside, Westside Leadership? What's I the... think it's just a difference in the name. Um, somebody at some point decided it needed to be called that, as okay. opposed to Westside High School. But it's Westside High School, legendary Westside High School mm. for many, many years. Mm. Yeah. I love it. So you are a single child? No? Oh no! Um, I have four sisters. <laughs> I'm number two of five, second oldest of five. Um, my sisters are um, most of them are here in Louisville, and one sister is in Indiana. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I'm, I'm part of the set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So second oldest, so second in command, so to speak. I'm not so sure about that, no? but I'm the second oldest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you went to Westside, graduated from Westside, 1983. Mm -hmm. Then you went and did what? Um, after I graduated from Westside in 1983, I wanted to go to grad school. I'm interested in music. And uh, my my um, undergrad was at Valparaiso University, mm. where I was a major in music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was there for four years, from 1983 to 87. Then after that, I did more school. And after that, I did more school. Mm. So just what? So first of all. What got you interested in music in the very beginning? And yes, first, yeah, answer that question first. What got you interested in music? Well, the, the, I was interested in music probably because of my church background. Um, I'm a product of the Black Pentecostal Church. Um, the Church of God in Christ is the largest Black Pentecostal denomination in the world, and that was my upbringing. And so in that church experience, um, most of the people who played uh, played by ear. They improvised. They did not read music. They were very extemporaneous in their in their playing, whether it was piano, organ, drums, 
I actually played saxophone. Wow. Uh, it was very common uh, for the Pentecostal church to have a variety of instruments, mm -hmm. and so I became interested in uh, playing the saxophone, and that's where I started. So why the saxophone? Was that the first instrument you just picked up, or was it like you had your choices? Well, um, probably a little bit before I picked up the saxophone, my parents bought a piano. Um, and they bought a piano at a time when nobody played. And I was the one that really took to it. And then from there, um, there was someone at my church that played saxophone. And I thought the instrument was really pretty. Mm -hmm. And uh, both in the way that it looked and the way that it sounded. And mm -hmm. so I um, was inspired to pick that up at, as a, a you know, as a matter of being at my church and seeing other musicians play. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what? Um, so how old, how old were you when you first picked up the sax? Probably 11, 12 years old. Okay. Yeah. Now is that kind of late, late age for picking up a musical instrument in general, or mm -hmm. like, because I know people who play, you know, piano is a little bit different because it's a piano. You can learn it, you know, whenever you want to. But like, as far yeah. as like going to school for music, you know, getting interested in music, 12 years old is that late or is that? Well, um, for uh, for piano and voice um, or or strings, people who play violin or piano mm -hmm. or, or who take voice lessons, often they they may start a little bit earlier. Um, it's not uncommon for um, people who do piano to start lessons at like four years old or five years old. Um, I for for people who play wind, brass, or percussion instruments, uh, which was the case uh, for me with saxophone, I didn't really take any lessons until I went to college. And so it was, um, you know, I, I wasn't in band or anything until I went to high school. And then in high school, I was self-taught. And then I took lessons when I went to college. So it's, it's kind of a yes and no. I mm -hmm. mean, um, it was, I was late learning to read music because, again, for the people at my church, everyone played in, intuitively. No one read music. Everybody played by ear. And so I just mm -hmm. followed in that tradition. Okay. So I was late taking lessons and I was late actually learning to read music. Ah. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> Pretty late. Now saxophone, that has a lot of, I mean not a lot of like jazz influence, but, but as far as I know, jazz influence comes mm -hmm. from, or saxophone comes with jazz music. Well, it's, yeah, um, it's heavily associated with, most associated with jazz. So did you listen to jazz before this, or like what music did you listen to that got you interested in, in the saxophone, or just music in general? Well, early on, um, because of my church background, the, the Pentecostal church was very strict in its um, rules. And one of the rules that we were uh, obligated to comply with was that we really didn't do secular music. Mm -hmm. we, we, didn't, we weren't supposed to listen to or perform secular music. We were supposed to do everything in the church. Right. Uh, of course, I didn't really, um, I didn't really comply with that. I, I did hear mm -hmm. <laughs> secular music, and I, I mean, I had friends who who uh, were musicians as well, mm -hmm. and so we kind of snuck and we listened to whatever we wanted to. Uh, big influence in the 70s was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. You might have heard of that band. Yeah. They yeah, were yeah. at their height in the 70s, one of the best bands in the world, and so that was, in my, from my church background, that was a sin, mm. um, um, and in our home, that was kind of somewhat tightly controlled, except my father was uh, kind of on the outskirts of the church. And so he was an, another way that I heard other music okay. other than gospel. Yeah. But the predominant music that I heard uh, when I was first becoming uh, a musician, first learning to play was, was gospel. Mm. But gospel is also heavily jazz influenced. Really? Heavily blues influenced. They don't talk about it, but it really is. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I think the gospel music has like just choirs. 
Oh yeah. So just <laughs> just you know a choir up there like a like a Kanye West song and just going out there like that. What? So really? Yeah. For you to say it's it's heavily influenced with like jazz and and blues, that's surprising to explain. Like, well, wow. actually, I wrote a book about it. So. Oh, um, oh here you go. <laughs> years later, I wrote a book about how the um the the religious influence in popular music is really powerful. And even though from my particular church black background where you didn't do secular things, you didn't listen to secular music, you weren't allowed to go to parties, mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to go to the beach or even take gym or wear earrings or makeup or any of that. You weren't allowed to do anything that was considered secular or sinful, even though that's the case. Most of the most important black secular artists do have their roots from the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that music, there's a, there's a cross-pollination okay. between black religious music and black secular music. Okay. It's there. It's not talked about a lot. Right. It's very, very true. Definitely makes sense. So was there like any musician or, I guess you kind of talked about it with the music that inspired you, but any musician that inspired you? Mm. It could, well, be from, of course, could be from church. It could be from Earth, Wind, Fire. Could, well, Earth, Wind, Fire was uh, a big a big influence on me when I was you know, 12, 13, 14, when I was that age. Then, of course, in the uh, black gospel tradition, there were some giants like Andre Crouch and the Disciples were big in the 70s and the early 80s. Um, and probably a, a number of artists that now are have gone off into obscurity. But, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire kind of did everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they did funk, they did R&B, they did soul, they did jazz, they kind of did it all. So um, when I listened, when I was supposed to be listening, mm-hmm. I did get a lot uh, a lot of that exposure through Earth, Wind, and Fire. And then my, my dad had a pretty vast record collection. Yeah. Um, my dad had everything from Black Gospel Quartet music all the way to Johnny Mathis to um, um, Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, wow, you <laughs> So, that. yeah, so my dad wasn't really in the church. So, he, we, yeah. you know, I by, by default, I heard his music as well. Yeah. So I, I don't think I answered your question, but um, kinda, a little bit, kind of. Yeah, it was eclectic. It was a yeah. lot of different influences. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the ages from twelve to before you went to college. I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess twelve to eighteen. How was that like for you playing an instrument in church? Oh wow! Like what got you? Where, did you just talk to the pastor? Say, hey, pastor, I want to play this. Actually, sandwich. yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. So our church um, had a a, a band at a time when that was kind of uncommon for a church to have a band. So mm-hmm. we had a, um, a, a couple of saxophonists and we had a, a there was actually a trombone player and mm-hmm. a guitar, bass, uh, drums, of course, organ piano. And I went to the pastor and said, yeah, I'd like to learn to play the saxophone. And the church had an extra one and let me, he said, okay, mm-hmm. and let me use it. And that's, um, you know, didn't charge me anything. His expectation was that I would become good at it. And right. so, I, you know, I just kind of learned by imitation at first, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the black Pentecostal tradition, my particular uh, church was the Church of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, the congregations there can be brutal. Yeah, so imagine. they have very high expectations, yeah. and they're very, um, they they don't mince any words, and they're very receptive and very affirming if you do well, mm-hmm. and if you don't do well, they let you know that right away as well. So it's 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 you learn on the spot, you learn in the process of. You learn to play the music while you're playing the music, right. but you get instant feedback. So that can either crush you or really inspire you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So which one? Obviously, it inspired you. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, there were some embarrassing um, moments along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because you know another part of the way that that thinking in that tradition was is that you were not only playing an instrument but you were playing for the glory of the lord mm -hmm. so that adds another another layer of pressure if you will yeah so <laughs> so i mean there was a particular time that i had the saxophone for probably a couple of months and um my pastor was very aware that he had lent me this instrument and so he put me on the spot and asked me to play something and i i froze and i couldn't do it and so i was um you know told to, to, to sit down in, in front of about a thousand people Golly. when I was when I was what 12 13 years old and so Sheesh. um yeah that was that was Brutal pretty there, humbling huh? but you know I that made me determined that yeah. I was going to get really good hmm. and so I I you know went off the radar and I got really good so the next time that happened I was ready okay but that was pretty painful yeah I can yeah. imagine a 12 year old <laughs> just picked this up two oh, months yeah, ago oh yeah they didn't care you all right know? solo right now right that's the church of God in Christ they, they didn't care you know, look, you know, you have to bring it. So. Yeah. So how often did you practice? So I know a lot of musicians, they practice 10, 12 hours a day, every day. Yeah. Or just like, yeah, in general, 10, 12 hours a day. Is that something you did or was it just like whenever you have free time? Well, I think in those days when I was, you know, between the time I was 12 and 18, since what you're asking about. Yep. Uh, when I first started to play, you just kind of made it up as I went. I, I, I did, I imitated people and I don't know that I ever said, okay, I'm going to practice an hour a day. Um, I, I played, probably, I played every day, but then the actual playing that taught me the most was during the church services. Wow. And we went to church several times a week. So, you know, we had the church service on Tuesday night, and we had a choir rehearsal on Thursday night. So I went to that, and we had a church mm -hmm. service on Friday night, a church service on Saturday night, Jeez. of course, twice on Sunday. So I was playing all those times and then yeah. on my own as, as well. Okay. Um, but then when I went to high school, I started. To, I got in band and I got I got in everything music that I could. Okay. So I got in band, I got in orchestra, I got in jazz band, I got in and and I learned began to learn to read music. And so um, the expectation that you were playing more to prepare actual pieces was more in a, a matter of fact in high school. But then it was later when I went to college that there was an expectation. Okay, you're going to practice this many hours right. a day. Okay. So speaking of college. You said you went to Valparaiso University. Mm -hmm. Yep. Did you have any other offers on the table, or was it just Valpo, Valpo only? <laughs> it was just Valpo, and that's because I was, I was, I was young and naive, and you know I had a teacher who said that if I applied to Valpo, she could get me a scholarship. Oh. So when you're young and naive and stupid, I said okay, and I yeah. applied at one place. Yeah. And of course, she she did not give me a scholarship. Oh, but... <laughs> That's where I ended yeah, up, so it was okay they accepted me, so I'll stay. Okay. All yeah. Right. Um, but I know I really hadn't done any a lot of research. Mm -hmm. I, it was that was the place that accepted me, and I, you know, it, it was getting to be toward August, and so I said oh, yeah. I'd better go there, otherwise yeah, I don't have any place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is Velpo known for the music? You know how like schools are known for something like mm -hmm. IU is known for business, Purdue is known for engineering, mm -hmm. Velpo is known for. Um, what's Valpo known? Well, Valpo was known as a the, probably the premier um, university of the Lutheran Church, mm. and so that was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Um, coming from a, an entirely black Pentecostal experience mm -hmm. to going to Valparaiso, which was a very German, very Lutheran, very white experience. Mm -hmm. um, so they they're known for they were and they still are known for that connection to the Lutheran Church. Uh, as far as the music is concerned, you know. Bach is really big in Valpo because, you know, yeah. Bach was German and, right. and Lutheran, and that's, you know, that was part of that heritage. 
So I came to Valpo with a completely different musical experience than most of the people who were right. who were in my entering freshman class when I went there in 1983. Now, speaking of that, it's only what a half hour drive. Yeah. Between yeah. Valpo to uh, from Gary to Valpo. Uh huh. Um, was it like a culture shock at first, or did you? How, what was that like? I was absolutely a culture shock. I might as well have been in another country. Uh -huh. um, so I came from an entirely black experience. Mm -hmm. um, a wonderful experience. My community, my upbringing, my home, everything that was familiar um, was, you know, my my normal was all that I knew. Mm -hmm. And um, we never, we rarely saw white people unless we saw them, you know, there were some teachers and principals that were white. Mm -hmm. But my community was entirely black. Mm -hmm. um, culturally, it was all black. My church was all black. So Valpo was only about 30, 40 minutes away, but my gosh, I was the, I was the only, when I first got to Valparaiso, I was the only African-American um, student in most of my classes. Uh, there might have been uh, one or two, and, and I was the only one in all of my music classes. I was the okay. only black student. Um, on my floor in my dorm, I was the only African-American. My floor, my dorm. Wow. Um, That's not that long ago either. It's only about 35 years ago. Yeah, something like that. And uh, you know, I later mm -hmm. that year that I entered, there were fewer than 10 African Americans on campus, and some of them were not African American. They were Africans, Africans who were from Africa, uh -huh. near Nigeria, Ghana, who were attending school at Valparaiso. Uh, but out of 5,000 students, um, really just just 10. It 10. Is, yeah, it was five thousand. It's ten. Different time. Yeah. 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 I mean, we kind of have a. It's not a similar background, but I come from East Chicago, Hammond area. Mm -hmm. It's majority Hispanics, and mm -hmm. I moved to Portage when I was like first grade, so I was at six or seven. Mm -hmm. So, we're. I mean, there was no Caucasian people in East Chicago, Hammond, or, or a few. I was the majority. I come to Portage. I was the minority. Like the, I was the only one in the. I went to school second grade, so second grade I was the only person there in like the class or like uh -huh. teachers like dumb it down for me making sure I understood what they're talking about but I don't know so it was like a whole you know whole yeah, kind of culture shock different world yeah education different education yeah and whatnot. so yeah. Wow. kind of similar different year and this was like 96 so wow so wow that's fairly recent 25, 25 years, years ago, ago so yeah 24 years ago something like that uh -huh. so wow. kind of similar story but I mean it was just 35 years but still you know what I mean like 25 yeah. 35 years ago yes yeah, it's, it's a different experience when you're the yeah. extreme minority yeah you are really needing to fit into someone else's world and, and you have to learn to do that really fast right yes yeah, so right that, so I can imagine you you know you're 18 19 years old this mm -hmm. is first experience with this I don't know what, what it was yeah but entirely. then you had to learn how to read music on top of that yeah, well, so, I, I started reading music in high school, but okay. but you're you're right. I had to catch up to right. classmates. Now, when I got to Valparaiso, mm -hmm. those classmates they had been taking lessons since four years old. Yeah, and so they were much more fluent in reading music than I was. They were much more familiar with classical music than I was. Um, they were much more familiar with Bach certainly right. than I was. So, you know, there were some things that I, I could do easily that were a struggle for them. Mm -hmm. For example, because I had always been improvising, hearing music was, and knowing what I was listening to and being able to describe it was just as easy to me as anything. And for them, 
because all of their musical experience was tied to written notes. They were used to reading music on the page. It was very difficult right. for them to... Just freehand. Yeah, to, imp improvisation yeah. was difficult for them. It was easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, listening to music and being able to write down what I was hearing was easy for me, and it was just, it was more more challenging for them because they had that dependence on mm -hmm. reading written notes, and I was late to reading written notes, and right. most of my experience was improvisation. So 18 to 22, you, you focused on music, playing music only, or you, or you taught music as well? Well, from 18 to 22, I was a music major at Valparaiso, and uh, much of that, yeah, you took a lot of different courses, but mm -hmm. I did a lot of playing, and so my uh, saxophone experience by this time was no longer just black gospel, it was becoming a combination of classical mm -hmm. and jazz, and um, it became more, became, became broader in the repertoire that I was playing, and then I also became really interested in um, music theory because it was easy for me. Mm. Um, what is music theory for those who don't know? Yeah, music theory is, uh, to, to make it really simple, it's the ability to uh, analyze, understand, and talk about music. It's the ability to hear music and know what it looks like in written notation, mm. or to look at music in written notation and know what it sounds like, and uh, to be able to break it apart and see how music works. So that's I had to take classes in that, yeah. and and I became really interested in that because it well it was fascinating and it was easy, <laughs> it was easy for me, right. and I I couldn't understand why it was such a struggle for my classmates, but I later came to understand that for them it was their musical experience unlike mine was really grounded in written notation, and mine was not. I I, I spent years listening and responding through listening more than they did. So it, it sort of balanced out. You know, they had their strengths and I had mine. Right. And uh, one of the experiences that was really pivotal to me uh, was a teacher of mine said, my theory teacher said, um, Teresa, you could get an assistantship mm. in music theory. And I was a senior by that time at right. Apple. And I didn't know what an assistantship was, but since he said I could get one, I was going to pursue it. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, that's why I ultimately went into music theory okay. as my discipline. Okay, so you pursued it after you got your bachelor's in music, mm -hmm. then you pursued the assistantship. I did, and but it, it wasn't uh, just a, it was a little bit of a rocky road. I actually applied to go to a university that shall remain unnamed sure. um, when I graduated from Valpo in 87, but um, they lost all my records and I ended up going back home mm -hmm. to Gary. To make a long story short, that turned out to be a good thing because the very next year after, you know, trying to figure out how to pay student loans yeah. and, and having this degree that I really could do nothing with, yeah. um, I decided to uh, look up a graduate program in the University of Tulsa where my uh -huh. sister was. Mm -hmm. And it just happened. I called them in the spring in like February of 1988. And and I literally said, you know, I'm going to speak to the guy who runs the graduate program. I want to study music theory. Uh, I have, my name is Teresa Shelton. I want to study music theory and I have no money. Mm. And the guy I spoke to said, great, we were just about to choose our graduate assistants. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. My teacher told me I could get one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, how soon can you get in your materials? Because I had to send in an audition and application and all that. And I told him, give me a week. And so I did. And I, I I did get a graduate assistantship, and so that's what paid for my um, school at University of Tulsa. Nice, and that's where you got your master's. That's where I got my master's degree. Okay. Uh -huh.
And that was what, 83 days, or 87 to 90? Or? Uh, 88 to 90. Okay. Right, I finished in Tulsa in 90. I uh, had a fantastic experience at Tulsa. And what I wanted to do at that point, I wanted to become a professor. Mm. Uh, and I, I found out you could actually become a music theory professor if you get your doctorate. And so um, I, I thought that, man, if I got my doctorate, I would love to go back to Tulsa and, and teach. Why Tulsa? I had a great experience there. Valparaiso was good educationally, sure. but socially, uh, it was difficult. It was hard to be there. It was mm. hard to be um, a minority in that environment. In the early 80s, when I was at Valparaiso, nobody was talking about diversity. Right. Nobody was talking about multiculturalism. Nobody was talking about you know diverse cultures being a good thing. I was really just in a, a, a sea of sometimes pretty hostile whiteness and mm -hmm. I I was uh you know I gained a lot from Valparaiso but it was it was not an easy sure, I can imagine experience I being there imagine, yeah I had the opposite experience at Tulsa oh. it was very embracing um I had a really good preparation for my doctor so I, I felt really at home there yeah so that's why I I was uh very interested in returning to Tulsa to sure and then you went to so you went from Tulsa to get your doctor where did you get a doctor's uh, degree at? Came back home to Indiana, Indiana what? University Bloomington. Why? Yeah. Why did you come back home? Best school of music in the world. Really? Yeah. And my, it, yeah, I listened to my teachers. So another teacher said, you know, to get your doctorate, you really should go to the best place you can get into. And that was Indiana, hands down. Mm. So I applied there and I applied for a fellowship. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I got into Indiana and I got the fellowship, so it was paid for. Nice. So thank God. Yeah. 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 I've been very fortunate. So did you live on campus over there, or did he give you like a like a student grad doctor house or something? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, well, like, what were you gonna do? <laughs> uh, the first year I lived in a grad grad dorm, and it was literally the size of a closet. I mean, there was room for a bed and a desk, and to turn around and that's it. Huh. Um, so I <laughs> I lived in a grad dorm the first year, and then. I uh, was in residence at IU Bloomington for, I think, three years, and after that, I lived in apartments. Okay. Um, and I, so I finished my, um, I finished my um, coursework at Indiana uh, in time to get a, a dissertation fellowship that took me back to Tulsa, mm. where I really wanted to go. And while I was in Tulsa, I um, lived on that fellowship to finish up my doctorate. I did it long distance. And at the end of that fellowship was a teaching position at the University of Tulsa, the place I wanted to be. Boom. Boom. Right. So, uh, and so I, I finished uh, my defense. They had some conditions to it. Mm -hmm. I had to finish my defend my dissertation by a certain date, and if I did, I had a job. Well, so I, now, when you say defend your dissertation, what does that mean? That means after you write your dissertation, mm -hmm. you go before a committee, mm -hmm. and they can shoot questions at you, and you uh, have to ask answer anything. Okay. They ask and show that you have done your homework. So you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. And okay. the committee gets to vote up or down. So I did that three weeks before I got married. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. So that was um what was that? Ninety six. Yeah. So in 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 like a four week span in spring of ninety six, mm -hmm. my fiance and I bought a house. Mm -hmm. Then I uh, defended my dissertation. Then we got married. And then I went to commencement. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. On, no pressure. I mean, if you could play in front of thousands of people at 12 years old, you could answer some questions <laughs> from a, a board of what. Well, yeah, each yeah. Each, each thing had its uh, had its nerve. There was a lot of nerves yeah. that went with both, both I could, scenarios. I could imagine. But, 
And then, so I defended, and then I went back to uh, the University of Tulsa, where I taught for 25 years. Okay. So what did you teach? Music theory. Music theory. Music theory, music history and literature, African-American music. Um, Had a great career at the University of Tulsa Mm -hmm. that just ended this year, in fact. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, So you've been playing or teaching since the age of 12? Plus or minus. Hadn't thought about it that way, Joe, but now you make me feel old. I guess that's true. Was there ever a time where you were like, <laughs> especially in the college days um, and getting your master's and doctors, where you were like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. I'm done with music. It's well, nice to have it in my back pocket. You know, yeah, I think there were those, there were those, you know, I never thought about seriously like permanently divorcing music, but... You know, I have other interests. I became really interested in writing. Mm. That's something else that I just kind of lose myself in. Um, and I, now that I'm older, I really think there's a, a value to having more than one interest. Um, I love writing in, in, in a different way than I love music, but I, I think I love them equally, um, equally as much. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I've, I'll, I've ever thought about completely just divorcing music permanently. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I've thought about maybe taking a little hiatus but yeah but no it's my life it's what i do okay so just a little follow-up questions some random ones so what would you say to the young musician growing up well that that wants to be that wants to major in music theory or Mm -hmm. just music in general i would say follow your passion and stick with it um and you will have discouraging times um but the more you play it's inevitable the more you play the more you study, the more you stick with it, the, the more proficient, the better you get. And always, you know, have something that you love about it. You know, there's, and I would say this to anybody, if you're interested in pursuing something, if it's your passion and you can lose yourself in it, then that's the thing you should pursue. If it becomes laborious, tedious, mm-hmm. and, you know, for most of the time, then you probably need to look in another direction. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then what about, like, growing up? Was there any professor, it doesn't have to be a professor, but, like, any pastor, professor, um, adult, that that you look forward to like speaking with about music or going to class to? Like. Probably, uh, if I had to single out one professor, his name was Austin Caswell, he's gone now. Hmm. But he's he became the model for how I ultimately wanted to teach. And that's because he was so passionate about his subject, he was my music history teacher. Mm-hmm. He was so passionate, so energetic about what he was teaching. And sometimes he was talking about something that happened 400 years ago, but he just made it come alive in a way that had you transfixed. And I thought, man, I'd like to be him. So I, I tap into that passion when I teach. And he, he was my role model. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Not my only one, but yeah. the one that comes to mind first of all. Sure. Could yeah. answer that pretty quickly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so you came from Gary, you moved to Tulsa. And you were there for a long time, away from your family for the majority of your teaching career. Mm-hmm. Now, your family is over here in Louisville. Yeah. You just moved back probably about a year or so. The last time I spoke with you, you were interviewing for right. Uh, right. this teaching position mm-hmm. in Louisville. Now that you're here, kind of comes full circle. Yeah. How does it feel to be yeah. back home? Home, so to speak. Well, I love being able to see my parents on a regular basis. My mom uh, is sick. She has Parkinson's. My dad is is up in age, he has his health challenges. And so, I mean, I know I don't have enough, another 20 years with him. I know that uh, the time I have with him is limited and I'm so grateful. Mm. Um, just every day, every time I get to see him, I'm so grateful. I don't take it for granted at all. 
Um, three of my four sisters are here, nieces, nephews. Everybody's Everybody is literally like within a four-hour drive, mm -hmm. uh, those that are here in Louisville. And so uh, we're, we're learning to, you know, how to negotiate the, the joy of being around now suddenly, you know, 25 other family members when for most of that time it was just me and my husband and sure. our dog. Yeah. So we're figuring that out. Plus, you know, I have a, a, a job that is pretty demanding as well. Yeah. So um, it's all good. It's all it's all good. Uh, things that I'm figuring out still will take a time to sort of adjust, but I'm figuring it out, and um, I'm just grateful every time I get to see everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling a little bit. Not not 25 years worth, yeah. but I know. Right. Um. So what's next? What's next for Miss Reed? Um. You know, I just want to be a good a good wife and a good daughter and aunt and teacher, and um. You know, I, there are things that I can get better at. I'm at a new university now, University of Louisville. Okay. And I'm in the learning process there. I've only been there seven months. So I want to do the very best that I can for that program. And um, really just staying humble and teachable and um, asking God for wisdom daily is mm -hmm. what I do. Um, so, so my, you know, my goals are pretty simple. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. So... Where can the people catch you if they want to, you know, right. get some musical tips or just, you know, reach out? How can they reach you? Well, I'm at the University of Louisville. I'm the dean of the School of Music there. Very easy to find. And uh, so our website is uh, www.louisville.edu. If you go to the link for the School of Music, um, I pop up pretty easily. And we have concerts, performances, recitals all the time. So please come to our School of Music, Bird Hall, Comstock Hall. Uh, cal calendar of events is online, and you can find something to do, something to enjoy mm -hmm. every single week, almost every night of the week at really? Bell. Yeah. Okay. Next time I'm back here, I got to check it something out. Uh, get your front row seat. Front row seat. Yep. Anything you want to see. Yeah. Yep. What we got? Okay. I'm going to go check out the website real quick. Okay. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. All right. All right. So, obviously, you can catch me on a couple of Joe podcasts on Instagram and on um, Facebook, but, Teresa, you know how to sing a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah, I no? think so. A little yeah, bit? A little bit. Take us home. Okay. Sing us so, a tune. Oh, geez. I wish there was a, a New Year's song because it's New Year's. But <clears throat> I'll give you a little Christmas song. Okay. Though. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That's all I'll give you. That's all we need. <laughs> it's a cup of joy in the morning. Peace.